Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, December 19th, 2022. It's been 3,218 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 299 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. We'd like to remind our listeners that our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days in December and January, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 25th or 26th, nor on December 31st or January 1st. And we'll be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, if there are any major developments during that time, we will jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, while weather-dependent, we assess there is a possibility of Russia, Ukraine, or both launching offensive operations on New Year's Day. Second, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sorovikin, has increased the operational tempo to create a political victory before December 31st by employing the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lapin, on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Third, we maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it is almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Fourth, We maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fifth, we maintain that terror attacks will continue on civilians and civilian infrastructure and assess an elevated risk of attacks through January 7, 2023. Sixth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Seventh, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Eighth, our assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin was accurate with numerous Russian mill bloggers openly criticizing the Kremlin tactics strategy intentional disinformation spread by Russian state media, and the treatment of Mobics. Ninth, we maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, 
and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sadovykin, commander-in-chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Tenth, we maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Twelfth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. There was more activity in Luhansk and across Ukraine, which were mostly skirmishes, positional fighting, and artillery duels. On the Svatova axis, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Novoselivsky was shelled throughout the day while mercenaries with War Gonzo reported Russian forces attacked Ukrainian positions without success. Russian forces attempted to advance on Stelmichivka and were unsuccessful in their attempts to move the line of conflict. On the Kremina axis, Russian forces attempted to advance on Lakivka, while Ukrainian positions in Ploshanka were shelled throughout the day. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, claimed a Ukrainian DRG unit attempted to advance on Holokova and was unsuccessful. This is the third time the Russian MOD has claimed fighting for control of Holokova, which is east of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, and would imply Ukrainian forces are at or have crossed the highway. Also, the Russian MOD made claims of losses that would have rendered a company combat ineffective to combat destroyed, significantly larger than a DRG unit, which is typically a platoon or smaller, and would lack armor support. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces are likely further east than our map indicates and may have more control of Chervonopopivka than reported. We cannot validate the Russian MOD claims of Ukrainian losses and consider them highly suspect. Reinforcing that Ukrainian forces likely have more control of Chervonopopivka the GSAFU reported that a Russian attack was repelled in the settlement. Russian sources claimed Ukrainian troops reached Kremina for the second time in three days, claiming it was a reconnaissance unit. The GSAFU reported that Dibrova was shelled throughout the day, with Ukrainian and Russian DRG units fighting in the Serebriansky forest area. On the Lysychansk axis, fighting continued east and south of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. Ukrainian sources claimed the results of the HIMARS strike on Shastia on December 16th destroyed 12 pieces of military hardware and killed 16 Russian troops, wounding 40 more. Insurgents coordinated with the Ukrainian military, identifying the location as a new base for Russian forces upon their arrival on December 14th. This is the first documented case of insurgent activity within the Minsk II self-declared Luhansk People's Republic borders. 
It is entering the fifth day since the private military company or PMC Wagner Group posted content on their Telegram channel, Greyzone. The last time the channel went this long without content, the administrator had been killed in a HIMARS strike on Popozna. PMC Wagner denied those initial reports, including posts on Greyzone. When the channel was resurrected in the early fall, allegedly by the same authors, the writing style and content covered changed. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center of Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported two HIMARS strikes in the occupied territory in Novoselivka and Altchevsk. Social media videos from Altchevsk showed a fuel and lubricants depot on fire. Russian propagandist Nasya Kashyavarova countered claims from the Kremlin that there are, quote, no losses in Luhansk. Kashyavarova reported that hospitals in the occupied territories are caring for almost 1,200 wounded Russian troops, Wagner mercenaries, and some Russian collaborators. Russia's battlefield medicine abilities are incredibly poor due to negligible training and a lack of basic first aid equipment. With a killed-in-action to wounded-in-action ratio estimated as 1 to 2.5, 1,200 hospital patients indicate 460 to 500 Russian troops have been killed during the same period. The total losses would render a brigade combat destroyed, and that's before considering missing-in-action and captured. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. There is a significant lack of timely and verifiable information from northeast Donetsk, and Russian sources significantly increased the amount of disinformation, creating conflicting claims along the entire axis. On the Lysychansk axis of northeast Donetsk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported another failed attempt by Russian troops, likely with the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR, to advance into the eastern part of Verkhnokamyanskia. Our assessment that reported fighting around Vyamka on December 16th and 17th involved Russian DRG and reconnaissance units was accurate. There were no additional claims of fighting today. Ukrainian positions in Spirna, Berestova, and Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, were shelled, with no change in the line of conflict. On the Solidar axis, our assessment on December 17th that the repelled attack on Vesele was launched from Yakovlivka was accurate, with Wargonzo reporting fighting in the area. The Russian MOD reversed its claim that Yakovlivka was under Russian control, reporting, quote, cleansing of the remnants of Ukrainian troops continued. The area around Yakovlivka was shelled throughout the day. There wasn't any reported fighting in Solidar, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading artillery and mortar fire. A Russian attempt to advance from the southern part of Bakhmutska was unsuccessful. On the Bakhmut axis, Ukrainian forces successfully defended Pithorodne, holding PMC Wagner at the M3 T1302 highway intersection. The situation east and southeast of Bakhmut remains stable. Drone video showed fires and artillery strikes on the city, while Russian mill bloggers pointed out that a direct assault on the city is futile due to terrain and Ukrainian defenses. Ukraine released a drone video showing the combined arms assault on PMC Wagner mercenaries that had entered two to four blocks of residential housing on the city's eastern edge. 
Artillery supported British Foxhound Light Infantry vehicles and troops to retake the territory. They were aided by Russian artillery units that fired on PMC Wagner positions by accident. You will need a Telegram account to watch the full-length video, but we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Another video showed Ukrainian forces boarding a Kozak tube lightly armored infantry vehicle with the sound of small arms gunfire in the city's eastern part. The video was misattributed to be associated with Russian forces, but PMC Wagner operates in this region, and the soldiers had Ukrainian uniforms and NATO equipment. Two soldiers wore white armbands, previously used by Russian volunteers but have been used less frequently, adding to the confusion. In Opitne, Chechen forces aligned with Ukraine were fighting to maintain control of the kindergarten in the central part of the settlement. Okay, that's honestly a sentence I never thought I would say. Ukrainian sources report that a counteroffensive was successful, and Russian naval infantry units were pushed to the southern edge of Opitne. South of Bakhmut, fighting continued east of Klishivka, with PMC Wagner, supported by the 1st Army Corps of the DNR, unable to advance. Ukrainian forces took advantage of poor Russian communications and troop rotation to advance one to two kilometers east of Andreevka. Russian mill blogger Vladlen Tatarsky wrote, quote, The morning for me personally began with bad news. The enemy, he means Ukraine, managed to dislodge our troops from the positions for which we fought all autumn, end quote. He reported that during a Russian troop rotation, the replacement forces were struck by mortars and lost, quote, some positions. Tatarsky confirmed reports that PMC Wagner uses the 1st Army Corps of the DNR and penal mercenaries for wave attacks, quote, all according to the classics of 1942, end quote. The Ministry of Defense of the United Kingdom Defense Intelligence Report aligned with Tatarsky's claims and our assessment that penal units are being used as cannon fodder without armor or air support. Drones monitor the advancing units in real time, while commanders who don't enter the battlefield use blocking units that threaten platoon leaders and their troops with execution if they don't follow their orders. We adjusted our map and advanced Ukrainian forces east of Andreevka to a defensive area southwest of Odradivka. The GSAFU reported Kurdyumivka and Ozaryanivka were shelled throughout the day, while the Russian MOD reported continued fighting in Kurdyumivka. Mercenaries with Rybar reported ongoing fighting near Ozaryanivka, while Ukrainian sources reported fighting, quote, north of the settlement, which supports either of our assessments that Ukraine has partial control of Kurdyumivka and or Ukrainian forces were able to advance from Andreevka. Story time. Russian actor Yevgeny Kolyaznikov, star of the movie Vanka, joined Akhmat of the Kedirovites. Fighting under the codename Uranus, Kolyaznikov received his final curtain call and a Code 200 retirement plan somewhere in the Donetsk region. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. On the Horlivka axis, Russian forces continued to test Ukrainian defenses south and east of New York, 
with elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR attempting to advance on Oleksandropil without success. The DNR released a video claiming artillery success on a Ukrainian defense line near Toretsk, and if this video was their idea of a flex, they need to go back to artillery school. That's a thing, right? Artillery school? The one hit that came close to the trench showed Ukrainian forces moving into a bunker, followed by numerous misses. Remember, they released this because it is the best they had. Also, the green grass hints that the video is maybe not so recent. On the Avdiivka axis, Russian separatists attempted another advance on the Ukrainian stronghold in Krasnohorivka, but could not move the line of conflict. South of Avdiivka, Russian sources reported that fighting continued in eastern Pervomaisky and southeast of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky, with no change in the situation. On the Marinka axis, Wargonzo reported positional fighting in Krasnohorivka, the other Krasnohorivka. There are two Krasnohorivkas west of the city of Donetsk, and both are on the line of conflict. It is not in any way confusing. Russian propagandist Alexander Mirkuris falsely claimed on their Rumble and YouTube channels that the DNR had captured Marinka. Mirkuris is the only source, and he provided no supporting evidence, while more reliable Russian sources disputed his claim. Rybar released a video as proof of progress in Marinka, which only showed artillery shelling areas 250 meters east of where a Russian tank was operating on December 16th indicating that the DNR militia had lost territory. The People's Militia of the DNR released a video with the headline, quote, Russian Federation Armed Forces Are Advancing on Marinka, end quote, but only showed non-combat clips from behind the Minsk-2 border and east of the mining waste heap on the edge of the settlement. The GSAFU reported continued fighting and that Ukrainian forces successfully held their defensive lines. In Pobida, Ukrainian forces launched a counterattack that pushed Russian troops back to the edge of Oleksandrivka. On the Vulidar axis, the 1st Army Corps of the DNR returned to their roots by trying to advance into eastern Novomikhailivka and being unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported, quote, Accumulations of manpower and military equipment of the armed forces of Ukraine were defeated in the area of Shevchenko, end quote. Which is... Curious wording. Open fields that offer no cover surround Shevchenko. There is a forested area west of the settlement, but we currently have that region marked as under Russian control. We remain pretty skeptical of Russian reports of fighting in the area. Unable to advance on Volodar, Russian forces have elected to bomb the town flat. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel continues to claim that their forces are single-handedly defeating every self-propelled howitzer or SPG in Ukraine. Without evidence of any kind, they reportedly destroyed one tank, two SPGs, including a Polish AHS Krab, and five, quote, units of armored and automotive vehicles. The Oryx database has documented three AHS Krabs destroyed in combat, with the last one in November. There were social media reports that Russian-occupied Khorlivka was shelled. Officials in the self-declared DNR claimed that Ukrainian forces fired up to 50 grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, at the city of Donetsk, and carried out several artillery strikes. During an interview for Vladimir Solovyov, 
two people had to run for cover from an incoming shell. Russian state media claimed Ukrainian forces shelled the Kalinin hospital in Donetsk, killing one person. Videos showed two general care rooms had been damaged. The Victoria Hotel was also damaged in the barrage. We can't confirm who is shelling Donetsk, and we previously shared social media content from residents of the occupied territories claiming that Russia and Ukraine were shelling the city. We also reported that a United Nations investigation into shelling on December 5th and 6th could not determine which force attacked the city. Despite the shelling and claims of a week ago from the self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, that bomb shelter issues would be addressed, social media posts continue to complain about blocked access. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that the traffic jam from the Zaporizhia direction is 5 kilometers, and the line of cars waiting at the Maximov border checkpoint stretches for 30 kilometers. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro. Russian forces conducted 69 fire missions on Free Ukraine, wounding six people. Smoke rose over the city after an early morning artillery strike, which damaged homes, businesses, and cars. One homeowner was incredibly lucky after a grad rocket failed to detonate. Ukrainian forces shelled Nova Kochovka, which Russian forces continue to occupy despite repeated claims they were withdrawing. In the morning, pictures showed damage to an apartment building. Looting by Russian forces continued, with the animals in the zoo being removed. On the Zaporizhia axis, the Russian MOD reported fighting in the area of Dorizhnyanka, south of Huliapola. Rybar reported fighting in Nesteryanka for the first time since the summer, with no change in the situation. In our assessment, neither of these reports indicates an impending Ukrainian counteroffensive. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and the six reactors remain in a cold shutdown state. In Russian-occupied Melitopol, the construction of defenses within the city started, including the deployment of half-height concrete dragon's teeth. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, reported that Russian troops are stationing equipment and billeting troops in schools, shared with children who are being taught in the same buildings. Remember Amnesty International? They haven't had anything to say about this expanding Russian practice. Otherwise, there were only sporadic artillery exchanges between Russian and Ukrainian forces from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv to Mali Sherbaki. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Ukrainian Navy reported eight ships of the Russian Black Sea fleet on patrol, with no missile carriers among them. 
While Russian contractors furiously build trenches across Crimea and along beaches, the tourism department is encouraging Russians to vacation for New Year's celebrations. No need to bring your own shovel to Crimea. In Russian Mir, sandcastles have already been built for you. Across the beaches of Crimea, the Russian Ministry of Defense is already working on great plans to enhance the 2023 tourist season. Sort of. During the morning, Russian forces attacked the waterfront region of Ochakiv in Mykolaiv with S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, striking the waterfront. There were no casualties from the strike. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. There hasn't been a shelling in Enerkhodar since mid-November, but that hasn't stopped the attacks on Dnipropetrovsk. After a lull on December 17th, Chervonohriorivka, Mirivka, and Marchanets were hit by more than 60 grad rockets fired by MLRS. Homes, civilian infrastructure, and the water pumping station were damaged in the attack. In Marchanets, three schools and the city administration building were damaged. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources in place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. Overnight, Russia launched 23 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones at Kyiv, with 18 intercepted by air defenses. Critical infrastructure was damaged, plunging areas of the city into darkness just hours after water, hot water, heat, and electricity had been restored from last week's attack. Two people received minor injuries from the attack as debris from destroyed drones fell across the city. A Russian source claimed Ukrainian troop positions in Vilshana were shelled. There continue to be suggestions that Ukrainian forces occupy at least part of the village. In Kharkiv, a hospital was shelled by Russian forces in Kupiansk, blowing out windows and causing damage to some general care rooms. On the Russian front, Vyacheslav Gladkov, governor of Bilgorod, announced on state and social media that the sounds of explosions across the city were from air defenses working. Within moments of his announcement, pictures and videos started to appear across the region, showing explosions and smoke rising from the city. One person was reportedly killed at a poultry farm where an empty warehouse was destroyed. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Russia launched 35 to 38 kamikaze drones from the Azov Sea into Ukraine, with more than half targeting Kyiv. As previously reported, 18 were shot down over Kyiv, and another 10 were destroyed by air defenses controlled by Operational Command South, or OCS. At the time of recording, 30 drones were confirmed shot down. Andriy Yusov of the Main Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, reported that, quote, At the moment, Russia is not moving combat-capable strike forces to the border area of Ukraine. His report aligns with our assessment that the Russian military remains in a combat-ineffective state 
because many experienced troops have been killed and there is an increasing shortage of military hardware. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz once again blocked providing Ukraine with Leopard 2 main battle tanks, or MBTs, saying that Berlin would not, quote, unilaterally provide MBTs to Ukraine. On December 8th, it was reported that United States National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan tried to convince Schultz to provide tanks to Ukraine back in October, saying the United States would support the deployment. Ukrainian military leaders have expressed their preference for the German Leopard 2, citing the American M1A1 Abrams as too heavy for Ukrainian infrastructure. Speaking of potentially damaging to Ukrainian infrastructure, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu reportedly visited Ukraine, with Russian state media source RIA Novosti claiming the unpopular general visited, quote, the southern military district, and inspected a group of troops for a propaganda picture report as a demonstration of Russian military superiority as the special military operation continues to go perfectly to plan. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and former Mobik Igor Girkin Strelkov went into full doom mode in a lengthy interview where he once again blasted the Kremlin, Putin, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and leaders of the DNR, and worried about his own mortality. Strelkov declared the war in Ukraine lost and unwinnable due to a lack of combat strength and 10 months of battlefield mistakes. Girkin predicted he would end up at The Hague, where he would be turned over to Ukrainian officials and hung for his crimes. He questioned Putin's mental health and suggested he has dementia. And while Strelkov uses huge amounts of snark, he said it with absolute seriousness in the interview. Strelkov has continued to push the boundaries of criticizing Putin, saying, quote, Once again, our president still hasn't taken responsibility for what's happening. Our special military operation is led by the Ministry of Defense. This is bollocks. War is a continuation of politics with different means. When it turns out that the president and authorities practically pass the responsibilities for hostilities onto the Ministry of Defense, it really says that either dementia reached the highest levels or that the complete lack of understanding of reality is linked not to physiology but some other disease. Victory over Ukraine, the final defeat of the Ukrainian armed forces, is impossible. End quote. Fun fact, in the video, Strelkov is sipping tea, which I can only assume he made for himself with tea he brought from home. Mobics in Ukraine, who have received little to no training, have turned to Wikipedia and online searches to figure out how to operate military hardware, according to the New York Times. The article reported that when the Russian 155th Naval Infantry Brigade was attacking Pavlivka, they lacked sufficient food, medical supplies, and communications equipment while relying on maps last updated in the 1960s. The once elite unit was largely equipped with AK-74s, with Russia's more modern assault rifle stock fully depleted. Quick note here, AK-74 is not a typo or a misspeak. It was the replacement of the AK-47 and entered service in 1974. All is going to plan. In war crimes and human rights, much to the anger of the Kremlin, Azerbaijan finished shipping its first batch of aid to Ukraine to help restore the power grid. 
A convoy of trucks delivered 45 transformers of various capacities and five portable power plants, with a commitment to provide a second shipment shortly. In geopolitical news, three members of the Russian group Pussy Riot were detained in Qatar due to their intentions of holding an on-field protest against the ongoing war. The trio planned to run on the field during the final match of the World Cup. In economic news, the Kremlin appears to be running out of solutions to manipulate its currency, which is off by more than 10% in a week. In early trading, the ruble had dropped to an exchange rate of 67 for one U.S. dollar, the lowest level since May. Oil prices are expected to open lower today, with WTI crude at $75 a barrel in early trading and Brent at $80. Russian Ural's crude dropped with the ruble, falling to $55 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was flat and is expected to open at $2.15 a gallon, or $0.57 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures will also start the week lower, trading at €109 per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and €110 for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures are flat, trading at $7.56 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.